Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Hallelujah. Significance of the Lord's Supper is going to be our title this morning. Thank God for the sacrifice of our Lord. Anybody ever hear of a store called Things Remembered? How come all the women shook their head yes? Well, the founders of the store based their success on the fact that human beings like to remember certain things. And so they provided gifts that people can engrave and give to people to remember certain occasions that took place in their lives. And that's just how we are. I'm certain that sometime or another, some people have received these kinds of gifts with an engraving on it that this took place on a certain day just to remind you of something. Well, I think God knows human nature as well, don't you? I believe he does. And so he set up the Lord's Supper so that we can participate in something to remind ourselves of something that's very special to all of us. And sometimes I think something that the church has really, really just experienced as just a ritual. In a lot of churches, it's just a ritual. We just take the Lord's Supper, then we leave and whatever. This celebration is special. It's important. It's powerful. It's impacting. And so we want to talk about that this morning. On the night... The most solemn night of Jesus' life. He instituted what we call at that time was the Last Supper. We call it the Lord's Supper, but it was the Last Supper. And there he is with his disciples around the table. And he's getting to a place where he wants them to remember him. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. But one of the other disciples, I guess you can call him a rascal. He was setting up his betrayal. He met and he went with uh, the temple police, the Pharisees, the scribes, and all those, and then captured the Roman soldiers and told them, got their attention. Because you see, when they went out to do something like this, the temple police didn't act on their own. They got the Roman soldiers to join together with them. And they went out to arrest Jesus. So here he is. Judas is getting this group together to betray his Lord. Well, the other 11 are sitting at the table with him celebrating the Last Supper. And for the likes of it, if you can even understand this, one unarmed man, and they sent out between 500 and 5,000 men to arrest him. What sense does that make? Well, if we can think it through... I'm sure they, that Judas, when he talked with them, said, now you have to remember this. We were out there on the boat one day, and it was a storm. Next thing I knew, we were at the shore. He gets in the boat, and boom, like that, we're at the shore. And remember those times when we wanted to stone him? Picked up stones to stone him, and boom, he was gone. He disappeared. And we wanted to knock him off the brow of the hill and kill him that way, and boom, he was gone again. He's used some supernatural powers in, in the past. So you, you need an army. Now we're talking about well-trained militia. People that are highly educated in, 
in warfare and all that. Anywhere between 500 and 5,000 individuals. And when the writer says multitude came out to arrest one religious, supposedly to them, unarmed man. And when they got there to the Garden of Gethsemane, you can just see the scene as it unfolds. Look at all these people that are around. Whom seek he? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. Like dominoes. They're all on the ground. Giving evidence to the fact that if he didn't willingly submit himself to being arrested, they had no power over him whatsoever to arrest him. I would have unlaced my boots. I would have taken my sword out of the sheath thereof, laid it on the ground, and said, you must be who you said you are, the Lord Almighty. But no, they just proceeded to get up and arrest him, take him to a trial, and finally crucify him. Put him to death. Oh, Satan was elated beyond words. The Jews, oh my goodness, they thought finally he's out of our hair. But it wasn't for very long. Because you see, three days afterwards, mm, he that lives and was dead is alive forevermore. And he emerges from the grave with a shout of victory over Satan, sin, death, hell, and the grave. And he cries out, all hail. Not only couldn't 5,000 soldiers have power over him, neither did death, hell, or the grave. Mm. And that's our introduction. The Lord's Supper is to remind us of these events. So that we remember the sacrifice that he made. And because he instituted this supper we see it as something solemn, exciting, and very special. But before we get into the significance of the Lord's Supper, let's take a look at some things that Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 17. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. And this is the church at Corinth, and they're celebrating the Lord's Supper. And you know what? Before I even read this, let me just set it up by saying this. Paul didn't get saved until Acts chapter 9, remember? He was Saul of Tarsus up until then. He was persecuting the church, was he not? Yeah. He was killing Christians, putting them in prison, beheading them, feeding them to the lions. He was the one responsible for Stephen's death, the first martyr of the church. He sees Jesus on the Damascus road. And when he does, Jesus, of course, gets him saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and so on. And now he begins preaching the gospel that he wanted to destroy. Now this church has been in existence for these years. And they've been having church and celebrating the Lord's Supper like we are this morning. Something was wrong with the way they were celebrating. So Jesus who taught Paul the gospel, no apostle taught Paul the gospel. Jesus taught Paul the gospel must have been very concerned about the way they were celebrating his supper. Because this is what he said. This is what Paul says that Jesus told him to say. 
But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. For it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Look at that emphasis right there. Like he's beside himself. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. Do you get the idea that Paul might be a little bit upset? And that he's representing Jesus who was probably a little bit upset with what they were doing down there? And what was going on? Okay, quickly. Paul had nothing good to say about them. Four things I have here for you. There was division among them. There were differences among them and distractions as well as the decision that they all had to make, to make each one. There were divisions, different sects and groups. There were differences. I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, and all that. There were distractions. You got this group here. They had the best Jewish catering cuisine that you could possibly have. And this group over here, they're sharing 500 people, a 20-piece McNugget among themselves. This group here, they only have water to drink. There's all kinds of division, differences among them, distractions. Look at them over there. They think they're better than we are. We have nothing to eat over here, and they're having a feast over there, and they're drinking up a storm over there, and we have nothing to drink, and we're poor, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They had a decision to make. Paul was saying, are you coming here to disgrace the church? Are you coming here to shame the poor? If that's what you think the Lord's Supper is all about, man, you're so, you're so far off base, it's unbelievable. That's not what it's about. It's about God's people coming together in unity. It's about the love of God flowing like a river. It's about people caring for one another, honoring one another, esteeming one another, helping one another, blessing one another. To do your best to see to it that you have everything in common. That's what it's all about. It's the unity of the faith. It's the coming together of people that love God and love people. You know, Jesus himself said, you want to know what it's all about? Love God and love people. That's your whole Christian life and experience right there. Well, let's read on the significance of the Lord's Supper. Look at verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So he goes on to say the teaching that Jesus gave him about the Lord's Supper. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Notice where it came from, the Lord. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, This, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had stopped saying this cup is the new testament in my blood. 
This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this or eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. So this is what it's all about. It's not about anyone else. It's not about anything else. It's about one person. What's his name? Jesus. Throw up there again, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. The first part of it is A. Why is it so significant? For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Where does it come from? The Lord. So in other words, it's of divine origin. And listen to me. Carefully, intently. It didn't come from Abraham. It didn't come from Moses. It didn't come from Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or anybody else. Who did it come from? The Lord Jesus himself. Do you remember Hebrews 1, 1 that says, God who at sundry times in diverse manners spake in times past by the, to the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. And Jesus said, everything I say to you, I say it comes from the Father. He told me what to say. Never did he take credit for anything he said or ever did. So it all came from him. So these words are coming from him. And they take precedence over everything and anything else that was ever said. Can we agree to that? He's speaking to us now by his son. His son trumps everything else, right? Right? Thank God for the apostles, the prophets, and all those that were used by God in the times past. We thank God for all that. But he's here now. He's the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament stood for. And so our eyes, our focus, our attention are all on him. And here's what he said. He gave me this to tell you. It's not coming just from me. Look at part B. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. The same night. It's significant because it's of divine origin. It's significant because of the timing of it. The same night. What night is he talking about? The night that they celebrated the feast of the Jewish Passover. It was the night that they celebrated when they came out of Egypt. When God delivered them and they basically were spared the wrath of God. Because they took a sacrificial lamb and they killed it and they ate it. They roasted it. They ate the whole thing. A lamb for a family. Then they took the blood of the lamb. And they put it on the doorpost and lintel of the house. So that anyone that was inside that house. That was covered by the blood. The death angel when he passed over. Saw that the blood was applied to that household. And because it was applied. He passed over. And that firstborn did not die. But all the others who didn't have, whether you were Egyptian, whether you were a, a Jewish person, if you didn't apply the blood, you died. Your firstborn died. And that was the bottom line. But you know what? It happened on that night to let us know that the true Lamb of God is now among you. And all that that represented is found in me. And I'm about to go and shed my blood for you as the true Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, thirdly, the focus. It's significant because it shifts our focus. Our focus shifts from anything and everything else to the better blood that is about to be shed. 
You think about all the blood, the gallons of blood that were shed by all the sacrificial lambs and, and turtle doves and etc., etc. All that was shed before, none of that blood could ever redeem man from his sin-sick soul. But now our focus shifts from all those animal sacrifices to the blood that he was shed upon Calvary's cross. It's then shifts to a greater redemption provided for us than what they had back then. Thank God that people were redeemed. They were delivered from slavery and all that. But there is a greater redemption, praise God. It's not just from a political power. It's not just a deliverance. The third one is just from a deliverance. Not just from Egyptian power. Not just from the Babylonian uh, captivity. It shifts over. We are delivered by the blood of the Lamb, praise God, from the powers of darkness. And we are uprooted from that kingdom and translated into the kingdom of God Almighty. Something that no animal blood could possibly do. Or any one could possibly do. It's impossible, Jesus said, for man to be saved on his own apart from the intervention of Almighty God. And so we thank God that he intervened by the power of his son, his resurrection, as well as his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and sitting on high. He has delivered us from all the powers of darkness and uprooted us from what Adam brought into this world, which is called spiritual death. And then there's a new covenant about to be established a better covenant upon better promises better than what they all had before in the old testament we've got a better covenant praise god today because of the shed blood of jesus christ and what we're celebrating here today is that covenant and our focus and attention needs to be on that above anything else and so then also uh, it was replacing you ready for it it was replacing the passover the new and everlasting covenant and the Lord's Supper replaced the, it replaced the last Passover. So the, that's why it's called the Last Supper. That was the last time they would have to focus on that. Our focus shifts from all that. The focus shifts from being delivered out of Egypt to looking to the cross and being delivered out of the tyranny of the kingdom of darkness that ruled the hearts of men for all these 4,000 years before Jesus came. You talk about a deliverance you talk about a new covenant you talk about a mighty work beloved we're not talking about religion we're talking about a reality that transcends all human understanding we're talking about God almighty coming here robing himself in flesh living a life that no one's ever lived before dying a death that no one's ever died before raising from the dead as no one has ever raised from before and then came back and showed himself alive as no one's ever done that before and then empowered his disciples with the same power that he had when he walked here upon the earth so that we can do the works that he did as we're here upon this earth and carry out his mission which was to save the lost heal the sick and set the captives free this is what this represents so the focus the significance of it is the focus it shifts you see, from all that type to the antitype. All that was in the past was pointing to the future that when the Messiah would come, this is what he would do. Well, you know what? He came. He did it. It's not about anything you can do, I can do. It's not about any performance of ours. It's based on his performance and what he has done. And because of what he has done, we could sing songs like we sang. He is my Jehovah, Sidkenu, my righteousness, Jehovah, Shalom, my peace. He's Jehovah Shammah. He's ever present in my life. I don't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem. I don't have to go before a curtain that veils the very holy of holies and the glory of Almighty God. I can just cry out, Abba, Father, and He floods my soul with His glorious power and presence every day. And so can you, because the door's been opened. 
the focus shifts, praise God. Animal sacrifices were now being replaced with the cross. You don't need an animal sacrifice. Aren't you glad you didn't have to come into this place? You can call it a place of worship if you want to with a little ewe lamb or turtle dove and have it slain by a priest where it shed the blood. And Aren't you glad you can just come in and walk in? Because why? Because the ultimate sacrifice was sacrifice on the cross. Praise God. Also, the priesthood was being replaced with the priesthood of saints. You are a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, a holy nation, called out to be kings and priests, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests before our God. That's who we are. That's who we, what he's made us. And so that priesthood has ended and thank God that you see the, the Aaronic priesthood, the Levitical priesthood has, has ended. There's a new priesthood and there's a high priest who doesn't have to be replaced year after year because he ever liveth and will never die again. Aren't you glad for that? This is our focus. This is what all this means. All that Adam did is undone. All the power the enemy had over you and me is gone. It's gone. Thank God. It's all about what he did. We look back to the cross, not the Red Sea. And finally, it's all about him and not about ourselves. It's all about him. So when we gather together like this and we do this, he wants us to give him our undivided attention. He wants us to call him to our remembrance. He wants us to think it clearly through and recognize if we truly appreciate this sacrifice. Because you know what? If we see it only as a ritual, it does a disservice to him. It dishonors him. But if we, from our hearts, view it correctly, it's almost as if you can sense his presence. I can sense it right now, right here among us, as we honor him. Because you know what? He's the guest of honor. And we should honor him. The serious nature of this supper is revealed to us in verses 20. Well, let's start with 26 and then right on through 32 also. It, 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 this is so serious. Sometimes I think we've overlooked it in the church. As often as you eat this bread, which would be now, which is present tense, and drink this cup, which is now this present tense. You show the Lord's death, which is past tense, till he come, which is the future tense. In other words, he that liveth and was dead and is alive forevermore is who we celebrate. He's the ancient of days. He always was, always is, and always will be. But there was a time in human history when he separated himself from his father to become the sin substitute for the world. And he took upon himself our sin, our mental anguish. He carried our pain, our sickness, our disease on that cross to liberate all of us and set us free. And that's what we're commemorating. That without this shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Without what we're celebrating today, you and I have, have no choice but to spend our eternity in a lake of fire. But because of this, oh, hallelujah, you will see your loved one in glory. You will see your children on the other side and other shore. You won't be separated by death for an eternity. Do you love your family enough to want to be with them forever? 
Absolutely. Because of this, you can and you will. Verse 27. Now notice this. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Whoa. Whoa. Would, would anybody want to be guilty of the body and blood of Jesus? Mm -mm. I know I wouldn't. So what does he say? So let a man examine himself. A self-examination. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh, the word damnation is judgment, to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, this is a main reason. He's speaking to the church, yes, there at Corinth, but he's speaking to the church, period. Many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep, which means suffer premature death. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. What statements fell from his lips? You know, last Wednesday, I talked about in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And the word debt there is a Greek word that's used in two places, Matthew 18 as well as uh, Matthew 6 where the Lord's Prayer is. And the first word debt, there's another word for debt that is used many times throughout the New Testament. But the first word debt that's only used twice in those two places, it means a loan impossible to repay. A loan impossible to, re to repay. Because you made $4 a day and the debt was a $52 million debt. So I figured it out at $4 a day. If my calculations are correct, if not, maybe I miss it by a year or two. It'll take you 35,000 years to pay off your debt. Anybody plan on living beyond 34,000 years? So would you call that an impossible debt to pay? You can't pay it. But the same guy that was forgiven his debt of $52 million found someone who owed him $15 and he put him in prison until he would pay all the debt. Now at $4 a day, how many days would it take to pay off a six, $15 debt? Well, if you threw a few stops at McDonald's or something like that, it, would, it might take a week. But that's a doable debt. That word, that debt there actually means a debt that you can pay, a loan that you can pay. You know, beloved, we're celebrating a, a debt none of us could pay. You know what that means? We should never hold unforgiveness, animosity, bitterness toward any human being, no matter what they do, it's a loan that they can repay. We release them of that debt. That's the type. Because we've been released of a loan we cannot pay. And when we see this, it should bring us to our knees. When we understand this, I want to draw you close to my heart and my mind. And so I want to do this in such a way so as, number one, I experience strength. Number two, healing and health. And number three, longevity. For if unworthily 
participating in this produces weakness, sickness, and premature death, then properly or worthily participating in it produces strength, health, and longevity. Uh, what do you attribute your long life to? Communion. What? Celebrating the Lord's Supper. Worthily. I thought it was your diet. I thought it was your exercise. Well, I do diet and I do exercise, but I reverence what my Savior did for me. And that opens up the door to his closeness. And when you're close to God, he gets on you. And when he gets on you, he's healthy. He's strong. Last I heard, he lives forever. Can you say amen? Amen. Just jotted down some things here. Not examining ourselves. We, we can participate unworthily. Examine yourself before you do. Okay? Not appreciating his sacrifice. He bore our sickness as well as carried our pains. Not just our sins, but our mental anguish as well. We could be participating unworthily. Not confessing sin by holding sin in our heart. And maybe releasing somebody else that we have a grudge against. If we don't do that and we participate, that's unworthily. We shouldn't do that. We've got to recognize these things and just say, let it go. But you say, you don't know what they did to me. Let it go. Because you don't know what you did to God. And you've been forgiven the $52 million debt, so let it go. Let God have vengeance. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let him take care of the situation, not you. And then also... If you participate like so many do, and it's sad to say this, I've been there. It's almost like they just want to get through the communion part or the Lord's Supper part and just run up, grab it, take it, leave. In some churches, you just grab it, run it, and go out. I, I don't get that. Paul was told to tell people, wait for one another. This is unity of the body. This is people coming together with, as far as he is concerned, everything the same. We've got the same heavenly father. We've got the same redemptive rights. We have the same family rights. We've got the same Holy Ghost. We've got the same blood of the lamb. We've got the same new and everlasting covenant. You've got your same father that I have as my father. We have the same father, same son, same Holy Ghost, same covenant rights. All those things are all the same. All things are equal. And if God will do it for someone else, he'll do it for me as well. And so... Wait for one another and see to it that you do it together, recognizing the fact that the body is not one member, but many members making one body. And we all need each other. We all need each other. The head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. You realize that? And the head's Jesus and the foot, there are, there's no low members in the body of Christ. It's just the position of it. We're all equal. Okay. Let's close it with these last two verses. 1 Corinthians 11, 33 and 34. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry for one another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. That you come not together unto condemnation or judgment. And the rest will I set in order when I come. So the instructions he gives us is, look, remind yourself that Jesus died for everyone. Remind yourself that we have all things equal. Remind yourselves that we all need each other. 
and that we're all of the same body, the body of Christ. But then I listed some of these things we can also look to. Consider one another. Consider that person sitting next to you. Love that person that's next to you. Help comfort that person that's next to you. Don't just be concerned about yourself, but be concerned about other people within the body and give yourself to them, be it in prayer, encouragement, whatever it might be. Be there to help one another. Remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. This is the only sacrifice that could be acceptable before the throne of God. And I love to relive this over and over again in Revelation chapter 5 because it just blesses my soul beyond measure and beyond words. I'll never forget the first time I read this and I got on my knees in the little church when, we, when I first came here years ago. I just got on my knees in the middle aisle of the sanctuary there and I just began to say there was a book written within and a backside sealed with seven seals and a strong angel came with a loud voice saying who's worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof and there's no man in heaven, no man on earth, no man under the earth that could take the book and loose the seals or neither to look thereon. And so John said, I wept much because no one was found worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof. But then one of the elders came to me and said, weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, of the root of David, he's prevailed to take the book and loose the seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne stood a lamb as he had been slain, having seven eyes, seven horns, which are the seven spirits of, of, of God sent forth unto all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand to him that sat upon the throne. And when he took the book, the beast and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb. Having every one of them gold, golden vows and harps from golden vows full of orders, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song saying, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I saw around the throne a number of angels, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousand, a thousand, saying with a loud voice, who's worthy? He is worthy to receive blessing and honor and glory and power. And every creature in heaven and earth beneath the earth and such as are in the sea heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power. And the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having ever, every single one of them declaring, he's worthy. Oh, can you just take a moment with me and say, you're worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. I will not receive this supper lightly. You are worthy of my undivided attention for what you did. There is no other name of any other person that ever lived, that is living, or will ever live that can take this place. And when you took your blood to the high court of heaven, all that Adam did was undone. You did it for us. And without your sacrifice, it is absolutely impossible for us to be saved. And so we reverence your presence here today. While you're seated there, if you have not received the elements of communion, then raise your hand. We'll get them to you. Secondly, examine yourself. Am I fully appreciating everything that Jesus did for me? Am I holding a grudge against anybody or unforgiving somebody? Let it go. Am I here to celebrate with my brothers and my sisters the greatest event ever to occur in the realm of human experience? And that's the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus on high. Am I here to acknowledge that I'm receiving from this supper the elements that will enable me to have strength, healing and health and longevity? Do I affirm my faith in all those truths? Am I living a life that shows respect for the life that he lived and the death that he died? And if we can answer those questions affirmatively, 
we can worthily participate in this supper. Hallelujah. We can and receive all the benefits thereof. I want to echo the words of David in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul. And don't forget, remember, don't forget his benefits. Because of this supper, you forgive all our sins. You heal all our diseases. You redeem our lives from destruction. You crown us with loving kindness and tender mercies. You satisfy our mouths with good things. Our youth is renewed like the eagles. There's a fountain of youth right here. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. From the rising of the sun to the going down to the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Oh, hallelujah. I will worship with my whole heart. Before the gods, I'll sing my praise unto you for thy life and kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Hallelujah. Is everybody served? Is everybody prepared? I have high expectations this morning. I really do. I have expectations of the miraculous among us today. Because you see, there's miracle power in this celebration. So let us all stand together in reverence. And let us draw close to our minds the memory of the sacrifice of our Lord.